Now, we have been telling you your communication is key to your leadership ability. We've talked about the fact that others, including your own manager and your employees, use your communication ability as a barometer to assess your success as a leader. Certainly, we've discussed some communication specifics in terms of what actions you can take to make your work life what you want it to be. But today we are going all in, my friends. We're talking communication channels, timing, messaging, and responding on The Communicative Leader. Hello, and welcome to The Communicative Leader, hosted by me, Dr. Leah Onelian Hodges. My friends call me Dr. O. I'm a professor of communication and a leadership communication expert. On The Communicative Leader, we're working to make your work life what you want it to be. So we've all been in those meetings that really should have just been emails. We're not just talking one or two, right? It can be so frustrating when you've taken the time to get together with a group, virtually or face-to-face, and you realize that the individual leading the meeting is essentially reading a series of bullet points to you. No good for anyone. By taking time to discuss the importance of tailing our communication, walking through these various elements that can help us to make better decisions in our communication encounters, we are both growing our leadership and communication abilities. Bingo, a two-for-one kind of deal thing. Yes! So you're asking how? Well, the more intentional you are with your communication, the more effective you tend to be as a leader and as an employee. For example, when you review meeting items and realize you can concisely summarize them in an email, You communicate respect for your team members' time and their expertise. Another example, when we consider each employee individually and meet with some in face-to-face settings and others virtually based on their unique preferences, we are showing them that they matter to us. These are small steps that result in large strides in terms of our workplace relationships and in our ability to articulate directions and to set goals. So where do we start when we're thinking about tailoring our communication? You might think message, what news do I have to deliver? And certainly we do need to consider the general content of the message, but first we need to choose the right channel. You might be thinking channel first, what? But here's the thing, my friends, we need to consider which setting or which channel is going to be most appropriate and most effective. I want to think about those two aspects of communication, appropriate and effective. We're going to consider those two factors as we think more about choosing a correct communication channel. Let's say you need to deliver unexpected, complex, or difficult news. Maybe it's budget cuts, layoffs, large changes to a project. Then a tweet or company-wide email would not be appropriate. I always tell organizations that bad news is palatable when it's communicated in a direct and timely manner. We feel a sense of betrayal when we learn our multinational corporation is considering layoffs via a news headline. Certainly, we'd still feel upset and scared if our manager told us that there are potential layoffs, but we wouldn't also be dealing with that feeling of betrayal at the same time. Relatedly, we need to make sure that communication channel is effective. If there is an emergency or a time-sensitive message and a large portion of our workforce is on a production floor or they don't have routine access to a computer, an email is not going to be a viable choice. 
In communication, we talk about the richness of media. We use the term rich when we're talking about the communication cues that come along with the specific channel. So let's unpack this. So what is the richest channel? Well, good old face-to-face communication. Why? Well, we can hear what's being said. We can observe body language. We can make note of someone's tone, their pauses, the rate at which they're responding, the silence. We're going to use the ever common response of I'm fine as an example here. If we were to come across a text message and see I'm fine from a friend, we might not think much of it. But when it's delivered face-to-face in a meeting, we might notice and we ask our colleague how they are. They pause for a moment. Maybe they shift in their seat. Maybe they avoid eye contact. Maybe they're fidgeting a little bit. Maybe they're playing with a necklace or, you know, kind of rubbing facial hair, playing with a ring. And then they verbalize the words, I'm fine. This example helps us to see the richness of face-to-face and what it also brings to the table. The nonverbals, the body language, perceptions of one's comfort, changes in their attitude, among other things that are all happening during the conversation. The other bonus of face-to-face and other rich media, it's synchronous. We can ask questions. We can seek clarity all in real time. So again, we know face-to-face has this highest level of richness. Other common channels, and I'm going to go from highest level of richness to the lowest level, include, again, we're starting with our face-to-face We're going to move to video conferencing with audio and visual, right? Think about Zoom. Think about WebEx. We're going to move to telephone. Then we're going to go to written addressed documents. What do we mean when we say written addressed documents? A text. It is addressed to you or to a group. A letter, for example. And also emails. And then finally, the least rich include written unaddressed documents like a flyer, a poster, bulk mailers, websites. These things aren't tailored to you. They're tailored to, you know, kind of a general audience or group and therefore have the least amount of richness. So what does this tell us? Well, we have lots of options here, folks, and some are easier and more tempting than others. An email can feel like a safe place to hide when you have a message that is not easy to deliver. I get it. But in addition to the content of that message, you need to ask yourself, what else could this choice convey or how else could it be interpreted? Let's say you just learned the employee you put up for a promotion was not selected. Even worse, the two of you had conversations you indicated they'd be a great fit, and you felt really good about their chances of earning this advancement. Oh, welp. This is not easy any way we look at it, and yet it's a pretty common occurrence in organizations. If we choose to send the email because it makes us as a messenger feel more comfortable in the moment, our employee may feel an extra sense of disappointment and anger and frustration and not being told in a synchronous manner. This employee may feel disrespected and as though their contributions don't matter as much as they thought they had previously. At the same time, it can communicate a lack of maturity, experience, and or ability on the part of the leader. Communication choices can have sweeping consequences. So how do we decide? How do we find the balance between communicating the many, many directives, initiatives, and updates with being mindful of receivers' needs? 
Well, anything related to equivocal issues, anything that requires clarification, might need discussion, or involves decision-making, a media-rich channel is going to be your best choice. So you're thinking about face-to-face or video conferencing. You could also use phone as well. Of course, we lose the visuals, but it still gives us the option in real time to ask questions and to engage in discussion. Have brief, straightforward information to share. Email or other addressed or unaddressed documents are going to work just fine. So we started with channel and now we're going to move on to timing. Choosing the right time brings us to some really interesting research and findings. Anyone heard of the morning morality effect? Essentially, research has shown that we are at our most moral in the morning. What's that you say? Yup. We have some scholars that have conducted research that found our ability to exhibit self-control to avoid cheating and lying is significantly reduced over the course of the day. So what does this mean? This means that we are more likely to be dishonest in the afternoon than in the morning. I am not sure what line of work you find yourself in, my friends, but something we might want to be mindful of. What else do we know about timing? Somewhat unsurprisingly, Monday mornings tend to be the worst day to hold meetings. And this makes a lot of sense, right? So Monday mornings are when many employees report finding themselves at their most effective and they're playing catch-up, or others are using vacation time from a long weekend. Also want to consider midweek afternoons tend to be most highly recommended for meetings, Because it gives our participants, the people we're inviting to these meetings, it gives them an opportunity to prepare. Finally, I want you to consider basic creature comforts. I want you to think about mealtimes when scheduling meetings. Early in the morning or after lunch, so attendees are more likely to be focused on your agenda rather than the fact they forgot to have breakfast or they're really looking forward to lunch. So how does timing play out in terms of sending emails? There's some research that says sending emails are more likely to be opened on the weekends because of a lack of competition from other incoming messages. But I say be the manager you'd like to have. Do you want to field messages when you're gardening, hanging out with friends, or at your kid's t-ball game? Mm -mm, Me neither. So some things for you to consider in terms of timing. I want you to think about your audience in the workspace. Are employees working at desks where they have constant access to email and they're going to check them immediately? Are people used to receiving frequent emails? You might also consider if people are working in different time zones and when they're most likely to be available to check their email. I also want you to think about your goals and the message intent. Is the email meant to get a quick response or does it require in-depth reading? Is it intended to communicate information employees can read at any time, or is it meant to engage them in conversation? It's important to consider this in choosing a time, especially if we're expecting them to all be available to engage in a discussion. Finally, you need to think about the culture of your organization. Is work-life balance an important consideration, or are employees used to receiving emails after work hours? Is it common in your company to send multiple emails a day, or do we send them sparingly? All right, my friends, we've talked about choosing the right channel and choosing the right time. There are two more ingredients we need to cover when we're thinking about tailoring our communication, the right message and the right response. What's the right message? It is the one that is personalized to a specific audience based on the content and the quality of the relationship you share with your sender. 
I don't expect my spouse's call to sound like that of my dental office reminding me of my six-month visit. Same goes in the workplace. We need to consider the nature of the relationship when we're drafting messages. So why do we need to consider this? We all work from different assumptions regarding how to interpret or how to make sense of these messages. Whereas our colleague might read an email from our manager and walk away with a sense of pride about the message, if we have a much closer relationship with our manager and we are just CC'd instead of written to directly, or worse yet, having a conversation in the hallway, we might leave that encounter feeling pretty disappointed. We're going to think about the message and response together. There's a school of thought and communication referred to as message design logic, and it's this fancy way of thinking about the ways we can craft messages and the ways that they impact others. So we're going to look at three different types of messaging. We're going to look at expressive messages, we're going to look at conventional messages, and then we're going to look at the most complex rhetorical messages. The least complex, easiest to issue are our expressive messages. And there are certainly many instances when a message is simple and to the point and where conversation isn't needed, and we anticipate little to no interpretation issues. An example of an expressive message is submit your timesheet by Friday, right? Nothing wrong with that sentiment, but let's get a little bit, let's get a little bit fancier. Let's get a little more intentional with their communication. Slightly more complex message, a conventional message, would also consider other communication rules and expectations like politeness, for example. So again, please submit your timesheet by Friday. Thank you. Right? So we see that that message growing a little bit, getting a little more complex. The most complex rhetorical messages also incorporate context and attempt to persuade your receivers to adhere to the policy. Please help us to achieve 100% timesheet submissions this week by turning your timesheet in by Friday. Thank you. So we don't see anything wrong, really, with any of the three messages. But when we move to that most complex, the rhetorical message, uh, the example uses we and us language. It's also incorporating conventional rules such as politeness. And we're also giving, you know, getting to the point. Timesheets are due by Friday. Depending on your cultural setting, you might also want to think about how your message may be interpreted. Expectations in an individualistic culture may vary from those in a collectivist culture, right? And one would be preferred to be uh, more direct and individualized, whereas in the latter, they might prefer more group support. So before we dive into this last element of tailored communication, I want to recap with you. To be most effective in our communication, we need to choose the right channel, the right time, and the right message. Our final communication ingredient, the right response, can often feel like the trickiest, and it is also often the most overlooked. We spend so much of our time thinking about the message itself that responses are often an afterthought. A lot of times these are kind of a knee-jerk, split-second reaction rather than a thoughtful reply. Now here's something really important to think about. Effective leaders don't just craft effective messages to employees, but they effectively respond to employees as well. I'm going to say this one again. It's that important. 
Effective leaders don't just craft effective messages to employees, they effectively respond to employees as well. This includes responding in a timely manner, following up with concerns, and responding in ways that enhance the relationship. We're going to return to the message design logics to think about what choosing the right response might look like in an organizational setting. My colleague and collaborator, Dr. Jen Patasek, who you just heard in the last episode, she wrote some really great examples in our book. Uh, She wrote those ones above that we were just discussing as well. In this example, we're going to play the role of a manager who receives an email from an employee requesting an extension on a project because they're dealing with a stressful issue at home. An expressive design logic often disregards context and is really straightforward. It may completely avoid any acknowledgement of the employee's issue. An example response might be something like, you can have an extension until Friday. So now we're going to move to the conventional design logic, and this would be considered normative behavior. And many leaders are considered to take a conventional design logic approach. This type of message would likely include a comforting message or even an offer for assistance. An example response might be, I'm sorry that you're going through this. How about an extension until Friday? Please reach out if you need any help. A rhetorical design logic would further contextualize the situation and realize there are multiple goals at play here. An example message might begin by taking time to make sure that the employee knows that they've been heard and they're cared about. Something like, I'm really sorry you're going through this. How are you feeling? You might follow that up by offering support, something like, we will figure out a solution to get your project finished. We care about you and we want to make sure you're doing all right, while emphasizing these we statements to signal connection. In these increasingly communicatively complex statements, we see the enactment of emotional intelligence, essential in building and maintaining trusting relationships. Today, we've done a lot on the communicative leader. By focusing on tailored communication, we learned it can be considered as a four-part process. From selecting the right channel and the right time to choosing the right message and following up with a thoughtful response, in being intentional and audience-centered in our messaging, we can communicate and connect in ways that are both appropriate and effective. What's more, when we're choosing the right message and response, We can also demonstrate care and showcase our emotional intelligence. In terms of takeaways, my formal leaders out there, I'd like you to think about this four-part process. Remember that communication varies by situation and need. While not everything needs to be communicated in a meeting, not everything should be sent in an email either. Think about what needs to be communicated. Think about your employees' needs and the demands that are already placed on their time and use that to guide your decision-making. Everyone, all ranks, all industries, let's not overlook the simple statement, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. While it is certainly easier in the moment to send a brief response, it can come across as curt and may be interpreted as a sign of disrespect or dislike. And what about our communication activity? What are we trying this week? We are going to dive headfirst into active listening. I know that we have mentioned this earlier episodes, but active listening, my friends, it is so essential. And you might be saying, I listen all the time. Hmm. Did Do you really? I'm guilty of this too. It might look like I'm listening. I might even be engaged at points. 
But then I find myself thinking about what I'm making for dinner, or that I need to stop and get gas, or that I forgot to respond to that email I promised a response to, and then I'm just as useful as a bobblehead, nodding along, but adding nothing. When you're actively listening, you're also maintaining eye contact. You're asking questions, or you're seeking clarification to make sure that you're interpreting messages correctly. You can also paraphrase to make sure that you're on the same page. What else? I really want you to think about your body. What is it communicating? Are your arms crossed, feet and hips angled away from your conversation partner? This is going to show them a lack of interest or an intention to end the conversation. Instead, I want you to think about mirroring your partner. Square your body towards theirs, your shoulders back, arms relaxed at your side. There you go, my friends. You're doing it. You're practicing active listening. Another tip, this goes a long way at home too. Everyone from your barista to your boss to your kiddos and your romantic partners, they want to feel heard. Next week on The Communicative Leader, we tackle leadership. Wait, have we not been doing that? We've led with communication and we will continue to do so, but it's also important that we consider what makes one a leader and if being a leader is the same or different as being a manager. All right, my friends, that wraps up our conversation today. Until next time, communicate with intention and lead with purpose. I'm looking forward to chatting with you again soon on The Communicative Leader.